You about ready to go live in a minute, Anu? Yes. All right, I'm going to take a slide. I'm just titling the episode. Okay, Anu, I think we're live. <clears throat> Namaste, everyone. Uh, we're live on Facebook for our third episode of HSC's Charta Chat. My name is Arnav. I'm a member of the HSC uh, leadership team. I graduated from WashU St. Louis back in 2014, and I'm currently in Dallas, Texas. So joining me for this episode is Anukriti Singh, the HSC president at Rice University. So before we get started, Anu, uh, just as a quick overview, Charta Chat is HSC's monthly episodes. We're bringing on thought leaders or students to share research, contributions, or any unique events. So for all of you watchers, if you're a Hindu student or if you're uh, in research um, and need to share any papers, contributions, uh, or need help growing your campus's HSC, then feel free to reach out to us. Uh, and we're happy to have you co-host a episode in the future. So now that the introductions are out of the way, Anu, um, I want to shift the focus to you. So do you mind giving a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. Namaste. My name is Anu Singh. I am a sophomore at Rice University. I'm originally from Dallas, Texas. And so in terms of my connection with Hinduism since childhood, I've been going to Balgokulam, which is from, from eight just as also known as Hindu Swam Sevaksam. So for past my the past 12 years of my life, I have been spending there. Every Sunday I would learn from about yoga, games, different Hindu related themes. We would have shlokas, pajans. We would learn different um, stories like from the Puranas and from different scriptures we would study as well. Additionally, my parents um, have been a very big impact. My father would always do havans. They're very 
um, religious, and then we would do a lot of puja. We do meditation is something that we um, do, a practice that we do for our inner growth. So that's how I have been connected to Hinduism since childhood. Awesome. So um, I'm assuming that, you know, you saw that gap at Rice University. So is that what motivated you to start the HSC or was there something broader that you saw missing at Rice? So Rice has no Hindu club, which in my first year I felt really left out because I couldn't celebrate any festival, which was a big part of when you were at home with your family. But when you're at college and you don't, you don't, you miss that and you have nowhere to go. So that was really um, something that sparked this. And we do have, like, there are some organizations at Rice, but they are not, they're secular and they don't represent the Hindu tradition as it should be. And they're not meant for that either. So we really needed some organization at RISE which could help create a community for Hindu students, for people to learn and to have a Hindu voice at the college. Awesome. So um, just to give a little bit of exposure to the first event you guys did for Diwali, uh, do you mind sharing details on like what that event was and also, you know, some plans that you have for next semester as well as um, events down the road? Yes, so for Diwali, um, we started off with having a puja. At first it was only gonna be a puja, but then we decided to add more, some crafts to attract more people with the help of my Hindi professor who helped me a lot and getting people to come. So we had, um, first we went over what HSC is and then we made candils, which are paper lanterns. And then we had a nice, we even had non-Hindu students participating and they really enjoyed it. And we had a puja, which, and after that we had our sweets and snacks and it was, Everybody really enjoyed it and they expressed how they felt like something was lacking, but now this kind of filled the gap and it was awesome. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And we're excited to help you um, get that chapter, you know, growing over the next few semesters while you're there. And, um, you know, for all the other students that are watching, um, if you guys have any events or anything you'd like to share on our platform, uh, you know, not to brag, but HSC has around 20,000 Facebook followers. So we love helping our students get exposure and uh, share what they're doing on campuses. So um, I'm not seeing any questions from the chat. So why don't we move on uh, to waves, Anu? So um, I'll give a little bit of background on waves and the paper that you presented, but WAVE stands for the World Association for Vedic Studies. Um, this is an inter interdisciplinary group that gives publishing opportunities for academic scholars on topics that are related to Hinduism and most commonly Vedic literature. So um, WAVE's hosts a conference every two years in different cities. So they've had conferences in like New Jersey, Trinidad, Tobago, Delhi, and then this year it happened to be in Dallas where both you and I are from. Um, so Anu, can you before we go into your paper, do you mind sharing a little bit of background on like your experience at WAVES 2018? And what were some of the topics that you heard from other 
uh, other speakers or other paper presenters. Do you remember? So it's been month at this point, so. Yeah, it's been a long time, but I was, like, it was the highlight of my summer working on this paper with my friend Arushi. And so it was amazing to see the people who we cited as sources giving talks, as in people like David Frawley. Um, and we, I've only read about, and Rajiv Malhotra was there too, and I've only read about these people in books, and it was awesome to see them in real life. And I also found that the scholars were very supportive of young people wanting to study um, research in the Vedic area. And I learned a lot about um, how uh, just many different topics from quantum physics and Ayurveda to astrology and Ayurvedic Jyotish and um, all these topics, I was really impressed. So um, your paper title, specifically was one of the highlights for a lot of those scholars because there were three youth papers and they thought that you and Arushi did a wonderful job presenting it. So um, your, your exact title is Beyond Nourishment, A Vedic Perspective on Food. And we have it up, uh, Parth, if you don't mind sharing that in the, in the chat, then people can maybe take a look at the paper and ask some questions. But Anu, do you mind sharing like your broad thesis and what your main findings were uh, in that paper? So basically our main point was that in Hinduism, we don't view food as just physical nourishment, which is what people in the West and most people have thought it to be. Rather, it has a huge impact on our minds, our emotions, and it makes, it, it is more than just physical nourishment. It makes us who we are. A lot of it is because of the food that we eat. So there are many aspects of food in the scriptures. One of the main sources we used was the Bhagavad Gita, as in looking at the different gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas in food. And then we also looked at the Upanishads, and they view food as not just food, but the essence of the food is Brahman, the Supreme. So we also looked at how there are ethical aspects of food. Um, the people that make your food, their thoughts go into the food and it affects the person who is eating it. In addition, there we found that we researched more on Annapurna Devi, who's the goddess of food. And she is actually Mother Parvati herself. And then we looked at the aspect of self-control and how the Gita talks how food is another opportunity for us to exercise self-control on what we should or should not eat, and ultimately a way to restrain the senses and take us back to the source, which is the divine. So we also looked yeah. oh, sorry. My fault. Go ahead. Okay, just one last main point, the different koshas and how we have different sheets. They're not actual, they're metaphysical, not like physical, but sheets. And one of them is Annamaya kosh, which is made of food. And the most subtle part of food goes to create our minds. So. Awesome. So, um, 
you know, was this your first time like researching Vedic and Vedantic literature outside of, you know, a religious setting? Like, was it your first time doing an academic paper on them? Um, and what was it like, you know, not studying the Gita, for instance, for just pure religious, but also for, you know, analysis? Uh, you know, because a lot of times we only get the chance to practice religion, but we never get the chance to research what Vedic literature teaches us from an academic standpoint. So what, you know, what was it like uh, changing gears at how you look at uh, these texts? Um, it was important for us to look at how to logically combine these sources to make, to support our thesis. And it was also in, um, interesting to find how scientific our scriptures were and the things that we can just experience ourselves like oh i ate a lot of yogurt and pizza and now i feel really tired but these things were laid out systematically in the scriptures and then if we just read it just studying it we might not realize it as it but if it's in like an academic paper people can actually understand oh this is what like it makes it's more believable for non even non-religious people can have more respect so um we do have a question from the live viewers um so how do these philosophies about food and hindu dharma translate to practices and traditions so for example in many um ashrams uh, many more orthodox or not or but more who are more strictly Hindu, they don't eat onion, garlic, and just forget about meat. They won't, that's, they even go to no eggs. So the reason onion and garlic, they're very rajasic, excite your mind when you're trying to go deep into meditation or any other practice. And meat is, um, Meat is said to be tamasic in our scriptures because um, take, it's the killing of the animal is um, himsa. So if you are trying to go to the divine, you try not to do harm and you try not to have that karma of even if you didn't do it, you don't want it to go into your mind. So that's so, one example. That's, yeah, so you mentioned meat. So what are other examples of like tamasic foods uh, or even drinks? And um, relatedly, where does tamas derive from in food? Where does it come from? So tamasic food is not only meat. Uh, it's also um, alcohol, um, old food, which is stale or um, for many days canned according to David Frawley as well. And um, eggs, fowl, fish, um, bitter tastes are also tamasic. And these um, artificial foods can produce disease in the body as well. And then where do you think, based on your research, like where do you think the tamas comes from? Is it, you know, is it from the taste or is it how it interacts with the mind? Um, what is tamas about these things? So 
Since Thomas, the guna itself is said to be lethargy, um, laziness, or lack of interest in life. There are types of foods as well, like alcohol we all know is would um, decrease your stimulation, your mind is um, not, you're more in, no, like you're withdrawn from any interest in doing anything. And so these qualities are in the food as well and its effects on mind are thomasic. So I think that's how the foods are classified as rajas, thomas, or sattvic. So I think in your paper, you also do a good, like a very good job explaining how uh, the, you know, the motivation behind eating food might be rajasic, tamasic, or sattvic based on, you know, sattvic way of eating is that, you know, it, eating is simply a process to sustain oneself. It shouldn't be a, you know, it shouldn't be done for the sake of eating or, you know, overabundance. Um, what are, do you recall some of the chapters or verses that you quoted in the Gita that kind of relate to that, how, how food does affect karma? So one of the sattvic ways of eating food is that you're not eating it for yourself. You're offering it to the power of God, uh, the Brahman who is within you. So in the Gita, there is a verse very popularly chanted by many people. So that means that Brahman is the food and the one who is offering is Brahman into the fire, which there's a digestive fire, which we went into our paper, which is Brahman. So we are offering the food as a means of, um, to the, power of the divine within us. So that is a sattvic way of eating food. And there's another verse in the Gita we also looked at, which was, aham vaishwana praninam dehamashita samayukta pachami annam chaturvidam. So in this, um, in the Gita, Krishna says that he is the power of the vaishwana agni within people, all living beings who is digesting the food so we are told so that is another um support for what we lose it fantastic yeah the the first shlok that you um read from the gita is one that you know we whenever we visit campuses or um host dinners or lunch we always uh you know recite that so it's very nice to know the meaning behind it because i didn't know the full extent of how that uh, interacts with the gunas and um, the you know connecting with Brahman. So uh, we do have another question from the chat. So uh, someone's asked, I want to have more energy in my daily routine, and I'm afraid that my food choices are hindering me. So what type of food do Hindu scriptures recommend for more energy? And you know, does this also depend on what time or how we're eating the food? So. Of course, I would say I'm not um, uh, any expert on this topic. <laughs> I'm not an Ayurvedic physician or anything, but from what I've researched, I can tell you that, first of all, the even the quantity of the food that you eat makes something sattvic, radisic, or tamasic. So, and for instance, yogurt is sattvic because we respect, we Cow, it's a cow product, and in our scriptures, cow products are very highly 
um, respected. But if you eat a lot of yogurt, it becomes tamasic. So excessive amounts of anything is not good, even for a good thing, which is another verse in the Gita, which says that moderation in all aspects of life, including food, is very important. So according to David Frawley, he, his book, um, Ayurveda and the Mind, which we use for a lot of the aspects for food and the gunas, he says definitely processed foods from restaurants, um, uh, many canned foods, packaged items are tamasic, um, and they are not good for having energy. Awesome. Um, grains and vegetables that are wholesome and nowadays organic would be better for ha having more energy. And a common practice that is observed in many um, traditional places in India is eating dinner before sunset. But of course, uh, some, some aspects are, are hard for us to control because we have to be living in the practical world as well. And taking another yogic practice is half of the stomach should be for food one-fourth for water, and then half of it should be left open for air. So otherwise, many, many people feel tired because they fill the whole stomach with food, and then right after food, they feel like, I'm going to sleep or something. So yeah. that's another thing for... people can do. <laughs> um, all right. So you had mentioned uh, in the mantra... Uh, so what is Vishwanarogni that Bhagwan Krishna has talked about in the Bhagavad Gita? So there are actually seven fires in the body which correspond to the seven chakras, which many people may be familiar or not, I'm not sure, but there are seven Agnis and one of them is the Vaishwanar Agni, which is opposite to the Manipur Chakra, which is near the navel center or, or your navel. And so then he, ultimately everything we believe in our scriptures is the power of the divine. So, but in the Gita, he says that the Bhagwan is coming in the form of that Agni, digesting the food within each person. So you're going to a lot of questions. Go ahead, Anu. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> no, you have a lot of questions coming, so it's good. Um, so someone's looking at your paper and they're reading the charity part, and uh, what they're asking, why is Anadam Danam the best Danam? I don't know if that's answerable. Why is Anadam the best Danam? So let me just look at that part really quick. Yeah, no problem. So in the, if somebody hasn't read this part, um, we, we said that we looked at anadhanam, which is when one practice is that you have a scale and then one side, um, some person or something 
some a lot of times people donate for some reason so they sit on one side and the other side they fill it with food to match the weight and then they give it off to people so feeding people is extremely important because uh, if somebody has no food they have no way to live and then ultimately we are not here just to live but we want to reach the divine but if we don't have food then we can't we cannot function and we can't reach that goal so which is another part Sri Ram Krishna Paramahansa also said um, Vivekananda I think that religion is not for people of empty stomachs right so that's one reason why food is very important to give in charity that's a good quote um, so we have another question about uh, modern food so why is and I'm not sure how to say this uh, the Hindi word would be sambar why is kojambu followed by rasam which is then followed by curd or buttermilk in a Vedic food system. Um, do you have an explanation of that? Because it's now ubiquitous in South Indian meal systems. So one thing there, I don't, I'm not familiar so much with this, but there's one verse I am in the scriptures that says that if you drink one glass of milk in the morning, then at lunchtime you drink buttermilk Sorry, one glass of water in the morning, then buttermilk in the lunchtime, and then a glass of milk in the evening. It is said that you will have no diseases. So that's an Ayurvedic verse. So I feel that maybe this might be some reason why they drink buttermilk after that. Mm -hmm. But Sambar and Rasam would probably classify as Rajasthik foods, right? Yeah. Perhaps they drink curd to like down to sattvic but yeah yeah that's the but, best answer I <laughs> that's uh yeah as you mentioned you know if people want to learn more about this i suggest they look at your references and read people like david frawley yeah. who have done a lot of research on this yeah, so they would be much better yeah and i'm sure at the next waves conference you'll have a second uh, iteration of the paper that goes into all of these questions that we're getting um <laughs> so I don't see any other questions from the chat. So um, I guess uh, let, so, you know, in just to keep it light, like in college, uh, you had mentioned some of the very Thomasic foods that exist, you know, like not just meat, but also um, things that are bitter, alcohol, which is obviously very prevalent in the college environment. Uh, if someone wants to try to live a more sattvic lifestyle on college, um, what are some of the options, like for instance at Rice, like what are some of the options that students can find in um, campus cafeterias or like, you know, simple things that they can cook themselves that will help them maintain a sattvic balance in their lifestyle? So maybe eating a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables and not taking the, of course all colleges have a lot of fast food options and Luckily, rice doesn't, which is unique, but a lot of, they still have a lot of pizza, oily, greasy foods that you can avoid. And you can always make a conscious decision to choose. For example, we have in my college a lot of per, um, vegan, vegetarian options, a lot of rice and a lot of salads. And they make a lot of um, very low, 
they have some local we also have local source like tofu with or quinoa these types of things which are unfortunately we can only have american options when we're in college but <laughs> but another thing you could do which i have done sometimes is i could make um keep you some options if a popular thing nowadays is instant pots among the Indian people. So that can be used easily to make khichdi or pongal or whatever you call it, or rice or dal. So some things we can do. But ultimately, food is not the main. It is one important aspect, but some parts we have no control over. So it's not, we shouldn't stress so much on food if we can't make that much of a change. So uh, one person is commenting that the Hindu Bhagavashastra is the oldest available Hindu cookbook by Mahadev himself. Um, did, you, did you come upon this on your research? And if not, you know, obviously it's something that you should consider adding given that it's the oldest Hindu cookbook. No, we did not find that, but we will look at it for if we do another further research into this topic. So uh, you weren't able to be in Dallas yesterday, um, but they announced at the, you know, the Youth Ashirvad conference where um, Arushi presented your paper, they announced that they're going to be publishing these in January. So maybe if it's possible, well, I guess that's only in a few weeks, but uh, <laughs> these are good things definitely to keep in mind for future publication. Um, after this first iteration. So, uh, okay, I think um, we've got one more question from the chat. So how is Agni associated with the other chakras? Uh, it is not so mentioned in the Yoga Sutras or Hatha Yoga Pradipika. Uh, the Sodhishtana chakra is the only place where Jata Ragni is present. It would be wonderful if you can tell me some of the other fires associated with chakras. Okay, so First chakras, so I will say one thing. The reason why I know about these chakras is because I am practicing Kriya Yoga, which is one of, it is most, one of the most, it is the, it is, if you look in Yoga Sutra Patanjali, it's mentioned Kriya Yoga, and it was, it is a ancient system of meditation on the chakras. So from these sources, I have found this and I'm not the expert on this, but I can tell you that in the Muladhar Chakra in the bottom center near the base of the spine, there is Dakshinagni, which is the fire of desire for wealth. So each chakra is associated with a particular aspect of our life, which has desire. So the second chakra, which is Swadishtan Agni, a Swadishtan Chakra, which is the Grihapati Agni, is the fire of family life. So that is another Agni. And then, as we mentioned, Vaishwana Agni in the navel, also known as the Manipur Chakra, uh, Manipur Chakra is the fire of food desire. Then in the Anahata Chakra, which is here in the heart area, is the emotional fire. And that fire's name is Avaniya Agni. Then the Vishuddha Chakra here in the neck is having the Samid, sorry, Samid Bhavnam Agni. And then 
here in between the point of the eyebrows of uh, it's not here but it is inside in the spine all these chakras are centered in the spine by the way this is the brahmagni or soul fire in english and that is also known as um um the anahata chakra then in the fontanelle in english which is the anatomical place this is the vishwarup mahagni and this is the all pervading fire of the divine and it's also known and for the chakra associated here is the sahasrara chakra wow it's very impressive that you know <laughs> all of those terms and pronunciations and um i definitely need to do a reread of your paper to get familiar with all of them but uh <laughs> yeah if, you want to know, if anyone has to know more about them our sources for this are in the papers so that would be a better explanation awesome um so i'm not seeing any other questions so let's uh move towards wrapping up so i guess um just as a wrap up like what do you think you know, of your broad wave experience? Like, is this something that you want to present again? And what would you tell other students that, you know, they, if they were to present at waves or write a paper on Hinduism, what do you think they might be able to get out of it? So I would definitely want to present at waves again, if I'm lucky to have the opportunity. And it's really, you will expand your vision a lot. And so for some, for me, I was already familiar with many scriptures and many of these things, because that is my personal interest. But if you're not, you will find a new, just a new world of knowledge. And, and I also deepen my knowledge and you get to explore many different aspects. So not just spiritual, but also physical aspects of anything, not just food, but there are many people who presented on things like temples and there are many scientific things as well. So it is really, it, it was, it, it would, I recommend it to anyone who is lucky enough. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Anu. So uh, Anu is a student at Rice University. She started the HSC chapter there, um, and she's going to be president once the club officially is launched. Um, and now she can also be considered a thought leader as we're bringing on for the Charter Chat series. So um, one thing I should mention is, uh, you know, we're considering putting on a monthly series at Rice. Uh, some, not necessarily monthly, but, you know, a common series at Rice where we bring on Charter Chat type speakers and have them visit. So for instance, um, Sahana Sengji and uh, Krishna Maheshwariji, both actually who were at Waves also, um, you know, are the types of speakers we want to offer to some of our students and chapters that are looking to bring events or uh, br bring speakers or have events on campus. So again, uh, if you uh, are, a, you know, a thought leader or a researcher that would like to present on our channel and share your information with college students, or if you're a student and are interested in getting some exposure for your chapter or any events that you're running, please get in touch with HSC and we're happy to have you on our platform. So um, let's wrap up the third Chart to Chat episode and hope everyone, uh, including you, have a good um, end of 2018 and we'll be back at, uh, in January. Thanks, Anu. Thank you. Namaste, all.